You want to be hardcore, you want to be extreme. Well, if you're like the Sandman, then you're listening to the podcast Drunk Wrestling History, dudes. And please be drunk when you hear it. It's a drunk podcast. I can rim like a motherfucker. You already saw my Sullivan in San Diego. He got a golden shower. Bundy just fucking cream pied Albano. I've been drunk. I've never been cum drunk. Woo! Hey. Yo. Chicas. Chicos. Welcome to Drunk Wrestling History. I'm Adam. I'm your designated host. They are the Drunk Wrestling Historians. This is Eddie. Let us drink till thine asses are drunk. And this is Scott. Win if you can, lose if you must, but always drink. Thank you all very much for joining us on this episode. Uh, Before jumping into it, what do you have uh, in hand? I got a lot going on. Um, I have a daiquiri from the previous episode, but I ran out of lime juice. I'm making it with coconut water right now. It is like the best thing I've ever made in my life. Wow. Um, really? Coconut water, huh? Yeah, dude, because I love coconut. I love coconut water. I love everything about coconut. And I mix it the same way, and it's, dude, it's incredible. That This might be my new go-to drink because it's healthy. You know what I mean? Uh, coconut has like healthy fats. And, um, and it's hydrating. Yeah, and hydrating and maybe like antioxidants, whatever the fuck those are. Um, glutens, possibly. They're all... They're also and hilarious when used in uh, Money Python and Holy Grail. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> which, which, which. If uh, anyone doesn't know, that's our intro music. Um, if you've been listening to this show for this long and didn't figure that out, like, shame on you. Um, and after that, once that's out, I've got a, a mango chili michelada on standby. Oh, very wow. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. eclectic, dude. I respect very that. tropical. Very tropical tonight. Definitely. Well, I'm still on the Sailor Jerry and Cherry Coke kick. So that's <laughs> what I got going on. Oh, I want to throw up every fucking time you say that, dude. Sailor Jerry and Cherry Coke. I find that highly disgusting. Sailor Cherry, if you will. Oh, my God. Uh, no. I've got Bundaberg root beer and some agua. It's Australian for root beer, mate. Yep. <laughs> So before we get into the episode, um, Scott, I texted you, and like I said, if we if this is the wrong episode to do this on, we'll edit this out. Well, you called me, and I was telling Adam in between episodes, like, Eddie and I have known each other since 94, thereabouts, yeah. so almost 30 right. years. I yeah. think we've talked on the phone two times. Something like that, yeah. It's very, very, I mean, it has to be an emergency for me to call you. So it's literally like the bat phone type of thing. <laughs> Right, it's got to be an emergency for that fucker to ring. Right, right, So right. when you and called, just... I was, number one, I was uh, drowning a stoolie. Number two, I was on the phone with my wife because she had called during the previous recording. Drowning a stoolie? I was dropping a deuce. Okay, that's what that I thought you should have been number heard, two. I've never heard that phrase. <laughs> but I like it. Thank You're, you. You were doing a Tessa. Yeah. <laughs> it's not called a stoolie on this show. It's called a Tessa. <laughs> I was Get your dis- shit together. disposing of a Tessa. Yeah. Tessa and talking to the wife. So I had to ignore your phone call. But as soon as I went downstairs to make another drink, I had to call you back. Because again, if you're calling, it's for some huge reason. So you can only assume the worst. And I did. And that's the news that I'm waiting on. I have no idea what you're about to say. 
So what it is, and like we were, you weren't sure about doing it on this episode because we're doing an episode about Razor, but in between episodes, we just recorded an episode, took like a 10 minute break. I got really fucking bad news about someone else who died. And I told you not to look it up. And I told you it was non-wrestling related. Um, since we finished the last episode, the great Taylor Hawkins of Foo Fighters fame has died. Really? Yeah, the fucking drummer of Foo Fighters, dude. What the hell? I don't know. They're in Colombia. They're in uh, Bogota, Colombia. And uh, my brother told me it was to do with alcohol. And I was like, I'm still doing a tribute on my drunk podcast. Uh, but I went on TMZ and TMZ said it's he's dead, but it's unclear what happened. Shit. And I don't know how big of a Foo Fighters fan you are. And that's why Carissa's here. She wanted to sit in on this because she loves Foo Fighters. And so do I. I don't know how big of a Foo Fighters fan you are. But what a fucking band, right? You have them down as the greatest American band of all time. Greatest American rock band. And see, I argue that it's Van Halen, but... Yeah, I've always said it's Foo Fighters. Well, I shouldn't say always, but I've thought about this like the last couple of years. I think it's Foo Fighters because like, they're 25 years, close to coming up on 20, 30 years of fucking hit after hit after hit. And we're going in September to see them play a fucking stadium in L.A. Yeah. So for a band, so for a band to do be around that long and still be playing stadiums like that doesn't happen damn that's how are you guys gonna go watch uh studio 666 as a tribute now i wanted to watch that and i was actually listening to dave Grohl's metal album earlier today the one he just put out today oh that's sad dude yeah yeah i'm not a, as big news. of a, a huge few uh foo fighters fan as you are obviously but uh man all all respect yeah to the family the man himself to the band that just sucks yeah, 50 fucking years old, dude. God damn. He's like four years younger than you. Two. Two years older than me. <laughs> you okay. son of a bitch. <laughs> anyway, we're doing a shot for the great Taylor Hawkins right now. All right. R.I.P. Taylor Hawkins, man. That sucks. Rest in paradise. Whoo, yeah. man. That Jameson burns. It burns. It, it burns. burns. All right. And I think with that, it's time to get into the episode where we're going to pay tribute to another great. Uh, it so so this recording is what two weeks now since uh, since it happened. Uh, yeah, just about. Yeah, we, week and a half. I think he died yeah. today's Friday. I think he died Tuesday before last, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. So yeah, sometime yeah. has passed. Twelve, but, ten days, whatever. But and uh, by the time you hear this, uh, more time will have passed. But. Uh, uh, we are definitely going to make sure that this gets through. We are paying tribute uh, to a wrestling legend that we lost not uh, too long ago. Our tribute to Scott Hall. That was a rough one, right? Was that? I mean, how did you feel, Scott? I know I took it really hard. I was. I loved Scott Hall. Yeah, I've always said in my lifetime I've seen wrestling in a bottle or lightning in a bottle twice. In the sport of wrestling, that was the birth of Hulkamania, and that was the birth of the NWO. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Dark the Dark Order. <laughs> no, the NWO could actually punch somebody. <laughs> yeah, they're taller than four feet. Yes, and <laughs> their legs look way better, too. So, again, I've, I've seen lightning in a bottle twice. And Scott Hall was a huge part of that second instance of lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. And we haven't seen it since. The NWO yeah. 
And granted, yes, it was Austin 316 right around the same time. WWE was lucky to have that in their back pocket. But we'll focus on the NWO that they really made wrestling cool again. And a huge part of that was thanks in part to what Scott Hall brought to the team. Because Scott Hall had that element of cool about him. And he wasn't trying to do it. It wasn't forced. He didn't have to manufacture it. Cool literally dripped from every inch of this guy. And he didn't need to try to do it. It wasn't a character. It wasn't an act. That was Scott Hall. He was that dude. Never held a heavyweight title. Yes, he was decorated with icy belts and tag team championships. You name it. He had it. Everything except for the world title. He didn't need that belt. Why? Because he was that fucking good to get himself over without it. And that was the man, Scott Hall. And if he'd been, he was sort of always, uh, he and Nash were the outsiders, but he kind of always was the outsider. Yes. He was kind of always the guy who was too cool to even be there in the first fucking place. Like you were privileged to see him and he didn't need, he didn't need WWE. He didn't need WCW. And I'm not saying like, obviously he did, but that was kind of the, kind of the, the groove you got from him that he didn't need any of this shit. Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? Like he was going to be off. If he wasn't wrestling there, he was going to be in Miami fucking probably banging a bunch of chicks and drive <laughs> driving around in that fucking convertible anyway yes <laughs> you know what i mean that yes. was what was so cool about him is he was like you said he's super cool and just believable like a believable you believed every bit about that guy and remember he started the invasion the revolution the nwo literally all by himself he jumped a barricade right and wcw never looked back they that was the minute that WCW took off and they were viable competition for the WWF. Why? Because Razor Ramon slash Scott Hall jumped that barricade and immediately made it cool to watch wrestling again because you didn't know what the fuck was going to happen. Now, look, I'm going to preface all this with that. I was a WWF kid. Me too. I didn't support WCW because I thought that they took the WWF retreads and warmed them up. And then put out a product based on what WWF had already done with those guys. Yeah. In hindsight, now many, many years later, I can look back because there's no competition anymore. And mm-hmm. I can respect what those guys did for the business. And what Scott Hall brought to the equation. What he brought to the NWO. What he brought to wrestling to really make it cool to be a young kid or even an adult walking around in a wrestling t-shirt. And to be considered cool and to strike up conversations with people and to not be looked down upon because you were wearing a wrestling t-shirt. You were cool again. Wrestling was cool. Why? Because of fucking Scott Hall. You're absolutely right. Like the Austin 316 shirt was the biggest selling shirt of all time, but the the one before it. That was the biggest selling of all time. And you know what? Over time, because people still buy that shit. Dude, you still see people showing up in NWO shirts that are brand fucking new. The tag's all, on it. Exactly. All the time. That might be the biggest selling shirt of all time. It's timeless. You, know? you can buy it, that it, shirt anytime, and it's timeless. And 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 uh, props to the art department or whoever at WCW created that. Like, they made a badass logo, and it was a badass shirt. And they put the entire WCW machine behind it, yep. which was not even close to the WWE machine at that point. At that point, no. But, yeah, th- this was the first time where you're like, oh, shit, Vince might have something to worry about here. And he did. And it was, yeah, I think it was Scott Hall. To me, it was always as much Scott Hall as it was Hogan. 
And it's like you said, he jumped the barricade. He showed up. That was him like firing. Um, you know, in Spaceballs, when he says fire a, a couple shots across his nose, but then he hits the ship. He goes, I said, I said across his nose, not up it. <laughs> <laughs> that was what Scott Hall did when he f- showed up that first time on Nitro. Direct fucking and what, hits. And what was great about it, and it's the whole crew, but mostly him, is people believe that shit. I remember I had, uh, I had a friend who lived across the street, and he was like, Dude, this NWO is no joke. They showed up and they gave WC, you know, put WCW on notice and said they're taking over. And I was like, I didn't really buy it that much because I wasn't watching it. But people who did watch it bought it. I remember he was like, dude, they're legit taking that company over. I was like, yeah. Oh, shit. Because they marketed it as a war. Yeah. And they they played it off perfectly. Yes, they did. Like you really thought Diesel and Razor Ramon came in and plucked the biggest star that WCW had in Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. And they were now going to take over what was WCW by beating the shit out of Luger, Macho Man, Sting, the Steiners, Harlem Heat, you name it. They were dropping them and they were going to take over. And it was believable because WCW was brilliant enough at the time. Bischoff deserves a lot of credit for that. Totally. Brilliant enough at the time to be like, fans are going to buy into this being a real war. And I remember on Nitro one time they had to because WWF had actually gone after them and sued them. They had to say on air, we're not Razor Ramon, we're not Diesel. Basically, right. we're not coming after WCW. Okay, let's move it on and keep going with what we had kind of said originally. <laughs> like, let's just breeze over it real quick, but we'll acknowledge it on television and we'll breeze right over it so you don't even remember this just happened. Right, exactly. So we're sort of jumping ahead because I wanted to get into his background. Yes, but of course. Since since you already started that, right, WWE did sue them because they were like, okay, you're not calling yourselves Razor Ramon or Diesel but you're acting like Razor Ramon and Diesel. Yes. And what it was was Scott Hall. And if you were to like, Scott Hall was Razor Ramon. You know what yes. I mean? Like he. That was him. Yeah, it was him. Like he made, he was that guy. Like he was a gimmick, but he was like barely a gimmick. He was kind of like Roddy Piper, right? Like Roddy Piper, the persona was crazy. Roddy Piper was fucking nuts. Yes. That's how Scott Hall was as Razor Ramon. He was sleazy. And fucking awesome. And just fucking cool without even trying to be. And that's what they... They sued him for being fucking awesome. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then, so and what w- happened... So well, so I watched the Razor documentary on uh, Pacock. And he... They, or, oh, no, it wasn't the Razor documentary. It was the um, JBL interview with uh, Hall and Ash. And they talked about that lawsuit. And they said basically what happened was... They... Remember when they got the fake Razor and Diesel? Yes. That was the end of the lawsuit. Because they were like, okay, well, they're like taking our fucking, um, what do you call that? Uh, intellectual properties? Intellectual property and taking it over there. And then it was like, well, no, you're totally, we're totally not doing that because you just put Diesel and Razor Ramon on, on Raw, which was like the dumbest fucking thing that, that might, you know what? Maybe we should do an episode about what was the stupidest thing WWE ever did. <laughs> that might be my pick is showing up with fake Diesel and Razor Ramon. That was awful. Just if you've never seen it, go back on YouTube and watch it. I can't believe they got Jim Ross to buy in and try to sell that shit. Right, Jim Ross was like, "I sign, I sign, I sign Diesel and Razor Ramon, and they're coming back next Monday." And then you get Kane as Diesel and uh, Rick Titan, Rick Titan as, as Razor. Razor, and it was garbage when they actually panned in on the faces. Right. Oh, dude, it was like great value brand. Razor and Diesel. It was shit. Yeah, and I was like, man, I got to figure out a way to fucking program, program my uh, 
what the fuck was that? Thing? VCR. Because I got it. Because I'm working Monday. Because I used yeah. to work Mondays. But I was like, I got to see this. And I come home to that fucking bullshit. Yeah, it wasn't even worth learning how to program your VCR to watch that shit. Oh, oy vey. So let's go into uh, Razor's background. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I have um, I have detailed files on this, oh. like I always do. Oh, you have his information. I have his information. He was trained by Hiro Matsuda, the great Hiro Matsuda. And I found it weird that he broke Hogan's leg to break him into the business, but he did not break Hall's leg. Hmm. Apparently, Hogan was much less likable than Hall. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> I guess. Um, he trained with Danny Spivey, which I was yes. surprised. I didn't realize that. I was surprised to learn that because Danny Spivey came to WWE in like 86 or something, right? He did because Wyndham had bounced and they needed a mm-hmm. U.S. Express partner for Mike Rotundo. And I guess Spivey was as close as they could get to look like Wyndham. They were like, this U.S. Express is money. We got to replace fucking Wyndham. <laughs> yeah. In 86? <laughs> right. What? With Spivey? Uh, no offense WWE. to Spivey, but man. Yeah, WWE with that fucking Express. <sighs> um, we paid for born in the USA, damn it. That's good shit, pal. We're going to play <laughs> it. Um, before that, though, before Spivey went up there, they worked as Starship Coyote and Starship Eagle. That is Paul fantastic, was- isn't it? Hall with Starship Coyote. Do you think he built this city? <laughs> with a name like American Starship, I assume they did. And they built it on rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if there's anything Hall ever did, it was built a city on rock and roll. <laughs> he was that fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's the only person. He and Spivey were the only people who were cool enough to build a, an entire city. They actually I'm called their team right. American Starship. That's so great. Isn't that insane? I love it. Like, that's the fucking Eagle and... Uh, what the fuck was it? Eagle and... Uh, coyote. Uh, coyote. I was going to say Possum, but... Uh, that's almost as good as the Hunchbacks. Or the Ding Dongs. <laughs> um, he worked for Crockett for a minute, then he went to AWA. And then that was when he started to take on the Magnum P.I. look, where he grew the mustache out. Yes, Big Scott Hall. R- Big Scott Hall. And... Even going back then, I I was never big on the huge like he almost had like an afro. Yes, um, that wasn't a great look, but everything else looked great. But um, then he went back to WC, WCW with his diamond stud, which was a complete fucking joke. Well, let's not overlook the fact that he became a champion in AWA. He was a tag team champion with the great Mister Perfect. That's true. That's true. And let's let's backtrack a little bit. They won the titles from the guys that beat the Road Warriors. That's that's kind of a big deal. Who was that? Was that Doug Summers and fucking Buddy Rose? Uh, no, it was gorgeous Jimmy Garvin and Mr. Electricity Steve Regal. Not Lord Steven Regal that we right, all right. would love, but Mr. Regular Electricity. Steve Regal. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Electricity. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they beat those guys, and those are the guys that beat the Road Warriors. So that really gave them that bump up the card. They held the titles for a while, eventually lost it to the great Buddy Rose. Uh, he of the uh, blow away diet fame, which <laughs> yeah. we have an episode and, on. And if you haven't heard that episode, check out episode, I don't know, eight or 10. It was early. It was right around blow COVID. Away. Yeah. Yeah, it was early. Uh, it, but Buddy Rose and Doug Summers are the guys that, <coughs> excuse me, are the guys that beat them. 
and the Midnight Rockers ended up being beating Summers and Rose. So going into all that, th- that was a big deal for Hall. Like that was his first taste of gold and he got that in the AWA. He ended up being a really, really big deal. But give credit where it's due, he left AWA when he saw it as kind of a sinking ship. Right. And he was Which like, he was smart. I'm out. He was I'm smart. going to WCW. Yeah, and then unfortunately he got stuck with the diamond stud gimmick. Stuck is a word you could use, but at the same time, it was good practice for what became the razor gimmick. Well, that's true because it was pretty similar because he was already doing the hair thing, right? Like he grew his hair out. Like he had the long, greasy-ass hair. Him and DDP, because DDP was his manager. They actually had toothpicks at one point that they were kind of incorporating into the gimmick. They ended up abandoning abandoning it, but remember, Razor used the toothpick. When he became oh, that, Razor Ramon. Oh, it became like his calling card. Exactly. You know? So like yeah. like how the wet bandits would leave the faucet running. <laughs> yes. Like that was Razor with the toothpick. Yes, but this was kind of an early incarnation of the Razor Ramon gimmick was the diamond stud. Yeah, and he was from the diamond mine. And we've mentioned before, he should have been from a pawn shop in Reno. <laughs> <laughs> so he makes a call to Kurt Henning. Like, Kurt, fuck, dude. It sucks down here. I'm called the Diamond Stud. Can you get? Can you help me out? Kurt talks to Vince. Kurt gets him an interview. Blah blah blah. Goes up. He gets signed. Uh, Vince signs him to a deal. And Vince asks him, like, I've heard. Okay, so I've heard a couple different versions of this story. I've heard that Vince had seen Scarface and thought he was Tony Montana. I heard I've Vince had heard, no idea what Scarface was. I've also heard that, and that Vince and I know I've I've heard this a million times that Vince has asked people, like, what are you into? What kind of things are you interested in? And I, so I believe this one's true, where he asked him, like, what are you into? He's like, well, my favorite movie, Scarface. And then he, like, imitated Tony Montana, and Vince was like, that's the Do gimmick, that. brother. Jeez. Yeah, he loved it. That was good shit, pal. Yeah, and so the story I heard was he loved that gimmick. Razor was, like, trying to figure out a name. He's like, what kind of, like, Hispanic name? Because Vince and Patterson came up with the Razor, and he didn't know what name to go with it. Uh, do you know who suggested Ramon? Tito Santana. The great Tito Santana. Who else are you going to ask? Yeah, you go straight to Tito. Yep. That makes it legit. Yeah, totally. Um, then we get those killer vignettes. And was this the first guy to get those really good v- vignettes? I uh, No, Mr. Perfect. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because he's like throwing the football and then catching it. Yes, okay. those are iconic. But okay. I wish we had more of that today to, mm-hmm. intro- to introduce guys before they hit the ring. Right? Because they, they hit the ring. There's nothing to build off of. But those vignettes, when Razor went into the ring, we already hated his guts. Because so he was an saying, asshole. So are you saying you're not sold on Veer by the Veer is coming? <laughs> vignettes? Ugh. Be better if I was about to watch his porn. That would be way funnier. <laughs> Veer is coming. Yeah. Like, look what they did for Val Venus. Right, right. right. Exactly. And that was the thing. So, okay. Look what they uh, did for Mr. Perfect. You're right. So they start. you're absolutely right. They started with Mr. Perfect. Then Razor is probably second. And then they had, like, Duke the Dumpster. Those ones are fucking stupid. Garbage. Yeah, well, it was garbage in, garbage out, right? But, but somebody right, like Val- Razor was a gem. Right, or like you said, Val Venus, that was a good one because he showed up and he was already over. Yes, exactly. With Razor, you knew everything you needed to know about his character. He's a sleazy-ass fucking... They didn't say he was a drug dealer, but 
I mean, when I'm 11 years old or 12 years old, whatever it was, I didn't think that, but I would totally think that now. Well, you look back and his foam thing was a razor blade. Right. Oh, right. <laughs> he's cutting Coke with his razor blade. Of course. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his name, Razor. Yes. Yeah. Um, when you could tell from his vignettes, he already had a good look too. He was a big okay. deal. He had a swagger about him. He was cool. You knew what to expect when he hit the ring. He was going to be a heel. He had a good look. He was probably going to be towards the top of the mid card, if mm-hmm. not lower top of the card. Okay. So since you said that, let's get into his look. He looked goddamn awesome. His logo and gear were designed by a dude named Tom Fleming, who was a comic book artist. Oh, I didn't know who he was. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't know that until I started researching this. And I was like, wow, that exactly, that makes perfect sense. Um, I'm glad he didn't go with the tights, though. You mean like the long tights? Yeah, at one point, he was wearing long tights. Yeah. No, he looked, you got to see his thighs. <laughs> but man, he looked good, dude. He had the razors on his knee pads. He yes. had the razor on his ass. And he had the cool color. He was like the best blue. dedicated. He was like, light he's like fixture. in purple and gold. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you know what really stood out to me about him is he was the first guy besides George the Animal I saw who didn't shave his chest. He just let that shit grow. You know what I mean? He was just like, I'm all man, motherfucker. Yep. And he was the first guy I can remember besides maybe Macho Man that would threaten the ringside attendant that if something uh-huh. happened to his gear, something right. was going to happen to you. Right. I paid $45 for that fucking vest, bitch. <laughs> Take care of that shit. And you see this chain? Don't even think about it. <laughs> right. I got that shit in TJ. <laughs> um, so he shows up and he um, he did a little bit of weird shit. He worked with uh, like Doink and shit and the Head Shrinkers and Giant Gonzalez. Um, but he was kind of the first guy, or not the first guy, but the the one of the few guys at that time who was like a gimmick, but not really. You know what I mean? He was like a... Giant Gonzalez isn't going to move in next door to you, nor is Doink. Razor Ramon might. He might. You know, he like, a, like, he was believable. Like, you, you could believe that there's a guy who calls himself Razor Ramon and acts that way. You know what I mean? Uh, yes, and I want to point out, too, that when Razor first started out after his training and he went to Florida, mm-hmm. one of his first feuds was with Dusty Rhodes. Right. That's a big deal. You're immediately at the top of the card. Within yeah. a month of debuting in the WWF, he is immediately inserted into the Randy Savage, Ric Flair heavyweight title feud and causes Savage to lose the title. Yeah. Immediately in a big money feud. They saw big dollar signs with this guy. And he, yeah. man, you pull the slot machine handle and you hit all dollar signs, that's what they got with Razor. He was money. Totally. And with a couple, within a couple months, he was working with Brett. Yes. At the Rumble. Because Warrior's stupid ass got fired. Yes. And also, I want to point that out. Let's not overlook that. At SummerSlam 92, Warrior bounces. Perfect takes his place. Mm-hmm. When you look at the guys in this match that are WWF tenured, you have Flair. Right. You have Savage. You have Mr. Perfect. And then mm-hmm. you have Mr. Or you have Razor Ramon, who's been in the WWF at this point for three months. When you look at this match on paper, who's taking the pin? Razor. Razor and Flair lost by DQ. Yeah. Razor didn't take a pin in this match. That tells me 
WWF from the jump saw money in the sky because if they didn't, yeah, they have plans. If they didn't see money in the sky, Razor would have taken the pin in that match, guaranteed. Totally, totally, exactly. Yeah, I mean, what a fucking look, dude. He was like six foot six and fucking built. And he had the curly hair with the little curl hanging down under his face with the yep. toothpick in his mouth and yep. the hairy chest and just the sleaze ball fucking look. He was a rookie, but he wasn't a fucking rookie. Yeah. Before we move on too far, we haven't talked about how good his music was. Oh, dude. Iconic. It's like the right? tire screeching right off the bat. You knew yep. exactly who was coming to the ring. I'm trying to play it. Um, there we go. Right, like that was okay. Quintessential I could 90s, be, but yeah. I love it. But this is one of the so a lot of people back then had like fairly generic music, right? Just like like Brutus Bar Brutus of Barber's music or Hacksaw's music was just kind of whatever. Like you you know when you hear it when you heard it you know who's coming to the ring or the Bushwhackers, but Razor Ramon's music sounded like Razor Ramon. Yep. You know there were only a couple of people at that time. I would say Mr. Perfect's music sounded like. A guy named Mr. Perfect is coming to the ring. But Razor had some of the best interest music ever. Like, still to this day. To this day. And let's also point out, he was only in the WWF for the Razor Ramon run mm-hmm. for less than four years. The right. music is iconic. The character is iconic. And yeah. not many guys can claim the number of IC titles that Razor Ramon did in just three plus years. And he had three, right? Four. Four. Four IC. Okay. Four. And this, Do you know and going back to the IC title history, it was very rare that anybody won it twice. Very, okay. very rare. Um, previous to this, who won it twice? Brett. Um, Tito. I was, I was going to say Tito. Yeah, Brett. Um, Macho only had it once, right? Yep. Honky Tonk only had it once. Ultimate Warrior yeah. had it. Ultimate Warrior had it twice. He had it twice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he might only be like the fourth or fifth guy to have it more than... I feel like, um, didn't fucking um, Morales have it twice? That I don't know. I know Morales but, was heavyweight but, champion at one point, but I don't know about multiple time IC. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking of someone else. But we're but at this point, we're going way, way, way back. Yeah, you're going way back. But again, to, in the early to, 90s... To senior. Yeah, in the early 90s, like guys holding it more than twice, even to hold right. it twice was a big deal. But to totally hold it unheard of. more than twice, mm-hmm. like you're talking immediately like first ballot Hall of Famer. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, okay, so let's go on to those title wins. Um, October 93, he beat Rick Martel for the vacant IC title. That was after Sean. Sean, uh, I think, got busted for a drug test. Yeah, I think that was it. Right. Never lost the title. And then that was Sean came back, and that's where we go into probably his most famous WWE match of all time, the ladder match of 10 with Sean. Well, let's not overlook. He beat Bob Backlund, a former heavyweight champion at WrestleMania 9 with a roll-up, no less. That's true. That's true. Using a wrestling move to beat a wrestling technician. And Backlund had been champ just previous to that, right? If if I don't, yeah, or was it right after? I think it was. Oh no, it was after that. It was after WrestleMania nine. Okay. He became champion. But Backlund was, but Backlund was brought back as like a contender. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I was. So I'm a kid now. 
I've never heard of Bob Backlund, but right away there, like Bob Backlund was champion for like three and a half years. They're giving you his history, yeah. You know he's a badass. And you expect him to win over this rookie, quote unquote, Razor Ramon. Mm -hmm. Like, no problem. It's WrestleMania. Backlund's going to get the win. Nope. Right. But yeah, now we'll fast forward back to WrestleMania 10, which is arguably his finest match. It's got to be his most famous match anyway. I think so. Nothing he did in WCW in my mind compares to this. Yeah, um, they had done a couple of these ladder matches on house shows leading up to this because it was like no one had ever done a ladder match before. I know Brett did one because so the ladder match apparently came from Calgary. This is yes. Brett's story anyway. Right. It came from Calgary, and I think it was Sean and Brett. It was. It, I believe in Portland, if I if I remember right, they did a ladder match up there, and Brett was under the impression he was going to get the ladder match. It ended up being Sean and Razor. Well, Brett still had a pretty good fucking WrestleMania 10. Like, let's not cry for Brett here. Oh, he was the man. He was the man at, at 10. Yes, for it was, sure. It, it was the Bret Hart show. For sure. But this was the first WrestleMania ladder match in history. Right. And they stole the show, and they had probably had match of the year. Yep. Um, I heard Meltzer would have given it 25 stars if it had been in Japan. It, that's correct. Yeah, approximately 25. Right. Um. Okay, I have this listed as the best WrestleMania match since um, Steamboat and Savage 3. I agree with you. 100%. Okay. I agree with you. Thank you. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. Well, and let's point out, too, that when Razor first came in, we were mentioning he was like a big heel. Yeah. The face turn really started when he lost to 1-2-3-Kid. That became right. a character transition, but let's not gloss over that loss to the 1-2-3-Kid. What does Razor have to lose to him for? I think Razor was going out of his way to put over this kid. And he made a star out of him. One, two, three kid without that win over Razor. I don't think he's too much. I don't either. And I've never heard whose idea that was, but who's who I wouldn't be surprised if it was Razor. He didn't have to work with him that well if he didn't want to. Right. He right. made kid no disrespect to the one, two, three kid, Sean Waltman at all. But Razor did that. That was oh, Razor's absolutely, deal. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he uh, one, two, three kid hit that awesome moonsault, but Razor took the pin and he took it like perfectly, where he was like almost kicking out but didn't quite kick out, and then he popped up after and was fucking livid, and kid escaped. It was they played that whole thing out perfectly. It was great, and they made a star that night. May ninety three, you had yeah. two stars coming off of that raw instead of one, and yeah, that was and Razor's doing because if he doesn't sell. That lost the way he does. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, kid. <laughs> man. Again, no disrespect to Sean Waltman, but I don't know, man. Razor made the kid that night. And I don't know man, that that's... kid goes on to become who he becomes without that moment. And that was all Razor. Right. He went on to have a Hall of Fame career. Exactly. And that was Razor's doing. Him Multi- turning face. And even with him later on. Yes. You're right, Adam. And yeah. Uh, man, he was so good, but without that face turn, I don't know that Razor, excuse me, Razor as a heel maintains that momentum. The face turn, I think, was absolutely necessary because right. then the merch machine gets behind him. And again, yeah. they're pumping out the foam razor blades, they're pumping out the t shirts, the action figures, everything. Razor Ramon. And the fans ate that shit up. And that dude yeah. was so marketable, but that face turn was so necessary. And credit goes to DiBiase as well. 
right? Because DiBiase starts making fun of him for losing to one, two, three kid. Razor helps kid beat DiBiase. Razor beats DiBiase at SummerSlam that year. And And that was the end of DiBiase. And that was the end of DiBiase. And that puts Razor out there now. DiBiase did the favor. Now Razor is that guy. And man, did he carry that torch. Absolutely. Bad motherfucker. He was fucking so good. He was. Um, he really he really was. But after WrestleMania 10, now he is the the true Intercontinental Champion because you didn't have the two champions running around anymore. Yeah. So he spends a little bit of time trading back and forth, right? He lost it to Jarrett, if I believe, but then he won it back to him. I think he lost, oh, he lost it, it to Diesel. House show. He lost to Diesel. Yes. Then he somehow won it... From Jared at a house show in a, in another ladder match. Well, he lost the but, belt to Diesel in April of '94. Okay, and then he won the second of his IC titles. Lost the belt to Diesel on April 30th, 1994, thanks to Shawn Michaels. And Eddie was probably peeing at this time. I would guess he peed during the finish. Yeah, that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, won his second IC title in defeating Diesel at SummerSlam '94. When HBK accidentally super kicks Diesel. And this actually started the the wheels rolling on Diesel's face turn. This led up to that SummerSlam, or not SummerSlam, Survivor Series. Yep. That we did. Yep, exactly. Uh, Lost the title. That, uh, like, he was the party involved in bringing down that duo of Sean and Diesel. All right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big part of their breakup. And then, so next we have him losing the IC title to Jeff Jarrett at Royal Rumble 95. And then we actually did a WrestleMania 11 review where Razor defeated Jarrett, but by disqualification. Which was a weird finish. Razor wins IC title number three from Jarrett at a house show in a ladder match. This is what Eddie was referring to earlier. Yes, in Montreal, I think. And that would have been IC title win number three for Razor. Or Halifax, someplace weird. So he wins IC title number three, and three days later, loses it back to Jarrett. So this is the trading back and forth, Eddie, that you were talking about. Right, right. So after that, he starts the team with Savio for a while. Which was kind of... That, to me, felt like one of those things where Vince is like, oh, let's put the three black dudes together and make New Day. (laughs) I think he was like, I don't know, all right. You know, I think Vince was like, I don't know, aren't fucking Cubans Puerto Rican? Just put them together. Well, I think knowing Vince, it probably had something to do with that. But at the same time, I think he wanted to have Jarrett have a run with the title. Right. So let's pull Razor out. Give him a break for a minute. I mean, he's been going hard. The guy's already a three-time champion. Which at this point is unheard of. Let's let them go. Feature Shawn Michaels a little bit more. But we're going to build to SummerSlam 95. And we're going to have ladder match part two with Razor and HBK both as faces, though. And Razor yes. lost. Yeah. Let's hear it for 50-50 booking, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Yeah. And this is an example of good 50-50 booking. Yes. Um, Agree. To, you know, as opposed to the 50-50 booking Twitter conversation I got into with someone who was probably like 12 years old. Oh, where everybody's a superstar. I hope the dude doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> of course he doesn't listen to the show. I don't know. I mean, I don't think you could listen to this show and have these thoughts. <laughs> Not if you agree with us anyway. Yeah, I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, every, everybody's a star. 
So at this point, three IC title wins is fucking unheard of. But who mm-hmm. did it? Razor fucking Razor did it. fucking Ramon. One is fourth. I see. With, at this point, is just disgusting. Right? <laughs> like, to win it twice is like, wow, that is a huge deal. To win it four right. times? Like, now you're just fucking showing off. And who did that? Razor fucking did that. Yeah, now it's like when a, a, like a, uh, like a Little League team wins like 25 to 1. Right. 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 Now it's it's it the fourth title win was like a vulgar display of power. Right. It's like Razor's wrestling children at this point. <laughs> it's like children. Fighting a bunch of second graders. <laughs> uh one is fourth IC title because HBK had to forfeit. Dean Douglas got the title and Razor beat Dean Douglas. And to this day, I think that's why Shane Douglas hated Razor. Because of the click. Yeah, oh yeah, that's true. I've heard I've heard him. Yeah, he hated the click. Totally. Uh, lost the title to Goldust. That's the- that's just because he didn't have any friends. Pretty much. I think that still might be the case. Yeah. Uh, lost the title to Goldust at Royal Rumble 96 because of the 1-2-3 kid. Right. So the guy that he put over three years earlier, still a star enough that he can play a role in this match. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Razor. Yeah. Uh, was supposed to have the rematch at WrestleMania 12. They're going to have a Miami Street fight. Razor got suspended. That match went to Piper. They had the Hollywood backlot, backlot brawl. Yeah. And the last we saw of Razor and the WWF in the 90s was a loss to Vader at In Your House number seven. That was April of 96, and we all know what happened two months later. The curtain call. <laughs> that was the next month. That was, that was like two. That was like two weeks later. Yeah. Yes, but a June of 96... Literally started a revolution. Shows up, jumps the barricade in jeans and a t-shirt. Yep. Yep. Had never seen anything like it. Literally, as a wrestling fan at that point, I had been watching for, I would say, 11 to 12 years. Yeah. I had never seen anything like it. And this is why your neighbors, Eddie, were convinced that there was something real going on. Because you, even if you had been watching for 20 years, you'd never seen some shit like this. Where right, somebody from was, a rival promotion jumps the barricade and takes over your show? What the yeah, fuck? It was crazy. It was fucking crazy. And he did such a good job of it. You know what I mean? Like, he was believable. Yep. Like, you believe that he was really there to fuck around. Yep. And the craziest part of it is, like, people in wrestling thought that. They were like, oh, shit. Vince fucking sent these moles, yep. you know, or this mole to fucking ruin the company. Like, yep. it was It was brilliant. And at the same time, it was, like, so stupid, honestly. (laughs) I hated it. As a WWF fan, I fucking hated it. I was mad at Razor. I was Mm -hmm. mad at Diesel. I was mad at Hogan. I hated Bischoff because this was retread shit. There was no invasion. Anybody smart enough to figure it out knew this was bullshit. But I look back and I go, God damn, they played the crowd so perfectly. And who did that? That was Razor. Razor, because of how fucking cool he was, how convincing he was, the character he played, the fans bought it hook, line, and sinker, and were convinced Razor, Diesel, and Hulk Hogan were trying to take over the WCW for Vince. They were that good that we believed that shit. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, and it was just done so well. It was so cool. It was perfect, Um, dude. It was perfect. For 1996, they played us perfectly. And this is pre-internet. Well, yes and well, no. This I is mean, like the birth of the internet. Pre-mainstream 
internet. Yes. But like, yes. The vast majority of people were not on the internet and there was no social media didn't exist. So 100% did not exist. Yeah, you're right. You'd have to subscribe to Melter's dumb fucking newsletter to get any kind of inside scoop on this. And like, nobody was buying that except the wrestlers. Right. <laughs> um, so one of the coolest things about this was to go back to what you mentioned earlier was where WC or WWE sued him. And then they were like, Oh, razor and, uh, razor Ramon and diesel were showing up on raw next week. The idiots who ran WCW believed that. And they were like, Oh my God, did we sign you to a contract while you're still under contract to WWE? Um, you guys will totally pay you more money not to go there. Is this the and most they got ridiculous con- thing you've ever heard in wrestling? Yeah, and oh well, actually, I should back up a little more than that. When Razor got his contract, he um, signed. I don't know how he worked this out. So he didn't sign necessarily for more money than he was making for Vince. I believe I have the number on my notes somewhere, but I can't find it. But I believe both of them, their guarantee with Vince was. Uh, here we go. Um, their guarantee was one hundred fifty dollars per show. And they were guaranteed 10 shows a year. So they basically, their guarantee was $1,500 a year. Of course, they worked way more than that and made way more than that. And their merch alone sold. Yeah. And they made, what, 75 cents on every dollar or something Some like shit. that? So they were working like 300 days a year. So I've heard them both say this in multiple interviews that they weren't actually guaranteed more money working for WCW. They were guaranteed the same money for less dates. And they came to Vince and were like, dude, just match that shit and we'll stay. We don't actually want to go there because they'd both been there before. They didn't really want to go. But they're like, dude, how do you turn this down? Exactly. And, I, and on on the um, interview with JBL, Nash was like, dude, like this was always the thing I wanted to do, but I'd never made real money. Now it's time to fucking get paid. Like I got a, I got a family. You know, I got to get money. So they went over there for that. So Hall went first. He told He told Nash what he was getting paid. And he said, he told Nash, negotiate for more than what I'm getting paid because I've got a favored nations clause in my contract so nobody can get paid more than me. So it was basically, if you get paid more than me, I get a fucking raise. So they're just like (laughs) working the system, right? Dude. Then WCW's stupid ass comes to them and is like, oh my God, please don't go back. We saw that Jim Ross says you're coming back on Monday. Please don't go back. We would love to give you more money. And they got more money. They didn't even do anything. They just happened to work for a company that was run by morons. So And they got they got more money because of it. As a kid, I'll call myself a kid, in mid-90s, say 96, 97. You were over 30-ish, 30? You son of a bitch. I was 22 when Razor jumped that barricade. Go ahead. I was so mad at them for what they were doing to Vince. So, like, I was working for the WWF, apparently, at that point. I was so mad. Like, I had a vested interest in this. But as a grown-ass man with a family and responsibility and bills, I respect the fuck out of what Hall and Nash took WCW for. Right? You got to get paid. They got to get paid, and they got paid multiple times. And if WCW was going to be dumb enough to do some shit like we heard Jim Ross is bringing you guys back next week, let us give you more money so you don't leave, and they took that money... Good for them. They should have. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then the NWO just turned wrestling upside down. It oh, the you've never seen anything thing. like it. Yeah. And Hogan, a there lot of times gets all the credit, but Hogan affiliations, but sure that would have the momentum that they did, especially capturing a heavyweight title dangerously 
very early in their life. Yeah, and they went on to capture um, five. Uh, the Outsiders were tag champions five fucking times. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. I don't even think yeah. the Steiner brothers had been five-time champions. And they or, had been there or, since like 80 fucking nine. Right, the Road Warriors have been there since the late 60s, and they hadn't been tag team champion that many times. Once. Right. <laughs> um, they worked with basically everyone on the roster, and they ran through every one of those motherfuckers. Yeah. Well, except Glacier. Yeah. Well, except Glacier. <laughs> That's true. Hey, well, that I mean, everybody on the roster. Well, who could beat Glacier? Exactly. Come on. Come on, Adam. Beetlejuice. Ex- except for the sun. And the whole time, Scott Hall. So I would turn on WCW on occasion. I'd be like, eh, Kevin Nash kind of sucks. Hogan's pretty cool. But Scott Hall fucking rules because he's still throwing the toothpick. He's still got the little curl in front of his face. He's still the same guy. Right. He's just like a scumbag. But Who's now in charge. Right. He's the same guy. And that was the thing where Vince tried to sue him for that. And it was like, dude, he was just being Scott Hall. Exactly. He was Razor Ramon... He, uh, they sued him because they felt Scott Hall was being Razor Ramon, but in reality, Razor Ramon was Scott Hall. Yes. That was the thing. Yes. You know, and it's, and then, yeah, it's like, it's just the cool heel thing. Like the, the cool heel thing has been like uh, a staple of wrestling for the last 25 years. He was the dude that started that as far as I know, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was, I would, you might argue, Austin, but no, it was Razor. Oh, the, no, it was Razor Razor before, but three, four years before Austin. Totally agree, because Razor I, was so cool as a heel, they had no choice but to turn him face. Yeah. And they cashed it, in. Right. I was going to say, if anyone, maybe be Bockwinkle, but that's, I don't, I might be the only person who ever thought Bockwinkle was cool because, like, he had the best words. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just love watching Bachwinkle promos. Like, to me, I'm like, that guy is so cool. I would say the genius. But, or the genius. Yeah, okay, okay. But most people didn't think they were cool, but everybody thought Scott Hall was fucking cool. Well, okay, wanted- Mr. Perfect was fucking cool, dude. Okay, well, yeah, that's true. But he that's wasn't true. that far ahead of Razor. Like, Razor was such a good heel and such a cool heel he was Austin before Austin because he was such a cool heel. The fans were taking to him anyway. WWE was like, fuck it. Let's just cash in and make him a face. And once they turned him face, he never went back. He was a face up until his last match. Right, right. Um, Touch on a little bit more of his like credentials in WCW. He did a taser ladder match with Goldberg. He then went on to do a Texas Tornado ladder match, whatever the fuck that is, with Bret Hart, Goldberg, and Sid, which I assume is hilarious. Hmm. I I don't recall ever seeing that. And I did not realize he was the ladder match guy of the 90s. Hmm. I I always thought of Sean as the ladder match guy because it was those two at 10 and at at SummerSlam. And then Sean went on to do a lot of ladder matches in his second run. Razor was the ladder match motherfucker. Because he was doing house show ladder matches in WWE. He was doing Texas Tornado ladder matches, Taser ladder matches. Like, that dude did so many damn ladder matches. It kind of became his thing. Damn. No wonder he had a bad hip, dude. Fuck. He yeah, yeah, totally. so many times. God damn. Yeah, right. I, yeah, and I totally a, didn't. Or you'd I would even say, think, like, being you, a heavyweight doing ladder matches as opposed to what 
Hardy's Dudley's and Edge and Christian uh, established. No, you have to be a lot more flexible. That way, you can do a lot more crazy shit. That's understandable if uh, you're being heavy and dropping several times. Yeah, he was a big fucker. Yeah. Um, his last match in WCW was Super Brawl 2000. I did not realize that until I was doing the research. I thought he was there till the end. I didn't even realize, honestly, that he was there until Super Brawl 2000. I thought he was gone a ways oh, before that. Okay. So after WCW shut down, he worked ECW a little bit in New Japan. Um, he did an ECW show in Schenectady, which, drunk fact, is my favorite city to say, Schenectady. <laughs> it's fun. Um, yeah, I love it. Schenectady. Um, he put he over Tanahashi ta- in NJPW. Yeah, he did that. He did a, a tag match with Jerry Lynn versus Justin Credible and Rhino. Um, and then 2002, he came back to WWE with Hogan and Nash's NWO. And it was a year late. Yeah. But it was but it was still pretty fucking cool. I mean, like, and don't pretend you didn't mark out. No, I did when Vince turned that chair around. That's abbreviated the same way. And right, still, the no, yeah. and still they're the heels, and they get an ovation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. No, no way out. They took on the NWO logo. That yep. was cool. Um, Got a poison the WWE. The biggest match of that run was against Stone Cold at eighteen, which I thought was a really good match. If you watch the documentary him on um, the network, they sort of eh, they didn't bury it, but they were sort of like, well, you know, he wasn't as good as he used to be. But I thought that was I liked that match a lot. Um, I might be biased because I was there and the and the crowd was hot, but I thought it was pretty cool. And let me just say for the record, and we've talked about worked punches, Eddie. Yes. Scott Hall, I would say, is in the top three all time of a worked punch. Okay, who who are the other two? Um oh man. Uh oh gosh. Cause I'm not sure I agree with this. Okay, so who is your top three of a worked punch? Fuck. Um, you know what? I've been watching a lot of a lot of Attitude Era. I think my top one might be my number one might be Boss Man. Okay, Boss Man had a great worked punch. He had a killer punch. Um, Lawler was really good. Okay. Um, man, maybe you're right. Maybe Scott. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Boss Man's good. Dusty was really good. Dusty's was good. Yeah, yeah. Dusty's had a he had a great worked punch. But Scott Hall yeah. is up there in my top three, if not yeah. number one. Like, go back and watch some of his matches. He His worked punch is just so fucking good. Does Seamus count when he's, like, really punching you in the face? No. It's a worked punch okay. for... It's called okay. a worked punch okay. for a reason. Okay. You're not potatoing a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, no, I'd right. have Warrior on that list. <laughs> Shit. Um... No, you're right. He did have a great punch. He really did. He really Everything did. he ever did was good. You know what I mean? Like, especially for a big guy. Like, most guys his size couldn't work the way he did. But he was really athletic, and everything he did looked good and snug. Yes, and a believable finishing move. Yeah. Oh, my God. The Razor's Edge is the best finisher of all time. And let's not forget that that was cultivated from his run as the Diamond Stud. Yes. The Diamond Death Drop became the Razor's Edge. Right, there's not a more believable finish, right? Besides, I mean, maybe a power bomb, or a, um, I mean, yeah, but his is, but he's a power bomb like that's taller. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're falling from maybe, a great maybe like a tombstone, taller, and you, know? you can't fight out of it. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's very yeah. hard to if you do. Killer fucking move, man. Yeah. Great looking finish. Great looking finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so then he sort of bounced around a little bit after that. Um, 2014, he went to the Hall of Fame as Razor Ramon, which was kind of weird. I didn't love that because because uh, Nash went in, I think, the year before as Kevin Nash. Okay, but whatever. Who you know? I'm just I'm splitting hairs. You know? it, yeah, I I see what but, you're saying, but I mean Razor Ramon as a character himself. Yeah, as I had mentioned earlier when we were going over his credentials, once he becomes a three time champion. Shit, yeah. once he even became a two-time IC champion, instant first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, my only issue with inducting him as Razor Ramon was I sort of felt like that was overlooking everything he did at Scott Hall. Well, until he got inducted with the NWO. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you know what? Maybe they did that because they were like, dude, you guys were, were running out of headliners. We got to do the NWO in a couple of years. Totally. Yeah, yeah maybe. And maybe, it gives yeah. him that recognition as Scott Hall. Yeah. But even then, his old ass shows up in that fucking white coat and the black shirt, and he was still the coolest motherfucker. <laughs> the coolest motherfucker in the room. Without even trying, the Without coolest even trying, guy in the yeah. room. Yeah, exactly. Um, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall fucking ruled. It's basically, yeah. that. that's the way I would sum, sum his career up. He fucking ruled. Yep. Yep, and his Hall of Fame speech... That closing line. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. And, dude, I've said it on Fully Posable because we had a Scott Hall dedication episode. We kind of just cool. cut our format. We had a Scott Hall dedication episode. We're doing it again right here. But, yes, one of the greatest all time. Absolutely on my Mount Rushmore of, because we got this question last week, Mount Rushmore of guys that never held the heavyweight title. Probably on mine, too. And... Just an incredible talent, and this one hurts. It really does. But you know what? Yeah. With Pacock, with YouTube, with everything that he did for wrestling, for creating that revolution that was the NWO, that in my lifetime was only the second time I've ever seen lightning in a bottle Yeah. with wrestling, to, to make it cool again. Hulkamania made wrestling cool. The NWO and Austin 316 made wrestling cool. It hasn't really been cool since, except in our little world here between me and you and Adam. Yeah. Right? And us wrestling fans, it's cool, but it, it's not mainstream. When Scott Hall formed the NWO by jumping that barricade, he made wrestling cool. Scott Hall did that. Scott Hall, when he, the uh, the day he, uh, the well, the day he was taken off, off life support, right? Because it was like a kind of all, an all-day story, right? It was it like, was. oh, Scott Hall's on life support. It, yeah. Do, so many people I work with were kind of coming up to me and were like, dude, I heard Scott Hall's going to be dead or Scott Hall's having health issues, whatever. Like people like that who don't watch wrestling. Yeah. Maybe never watched wrestling, but just sort of were like kind of like you're saying it was so cool and so huge. Like even if you didn't watch it, you kind of were aware of it. You know what I mean? Like people now, like people who don't watch wrestling now, they know who Brock Lesnar is. They know who The Rock that is. They know who The Rock is. That's how Scott Hall was. He was on that level to where people who didn't even watch the shit knew what the NWO was, knew who Scott Hall was. Yep. Or maybe they or maybe they watched wrestling for like two weeks in nineteen ninety six, but he made that much of an impression on him. Like 
I would say five, six people, and I work with a really small group, but I'd say at least five, six people this week came up or came up to me last week and mentioned it. Like that's the kind of impression he had on people. So yeah, that he era was, that we grew up with from like 84 on, they know yeah. who, who Hulk Hogan is. Uh-huh. The next generation of wrestling fan from 96 on, they know goddamn well who Scott Hall is. He's at that same level. So when you hear that name, you know exactly who that is. Right. That's his legacy. Scott Hall is going to live forever through all of yeah. the outlets that we have to watch his his contributions on. But his claim to fame is going to be he started a revolution in wrestling and he made it cool again for us fans in the mid-90s. And again, Scott Hall, Razor Ramon, going to live forever. And if he didn't like you, he'd throw a toothpick in your fucking face. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Do you think he should have gotten a 10 bell at Raw? Oh, it's such a gross misstep on WWE's part to so, not have done that. And I hope they decide to do it at WrestleMania for him. Yeah. So I got the news when Raw was already on the air yeah. from you. Yeah. So I was under the impression that he had passed during Raw. So that's like, okay. what I had understood. Yeah. But then I went and watched it the next day and they did the little graphic beforehand. And I was like, and I, they did a video package later on, but I was like, man, but the, I don't think they would have. Then I was like, okay, there. maybe they, I was like, maybe they can't reformat Raw. So on on Friday, we'll get a 10 bell. Friday, we didn't get a 10 bell. And I'm like, I don't think we're going to get one at WrestleMania. But fucking A, I hope we do. Something, do something for his ass. Put a um, put a, uh, drone, put drones in the air with a razor or some shit. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, do something for the guy. Because I was like, okay, so the last 10 bell I remember, it might not be the last one, was Roddy Piper. I remember that because I was there. That was at San Jose. Um. I think Scott Hall was at, at least as big of a deal as Roddy Piper was. Well, Roddy Piper would also be on my Mount Rushmore of guys that never held the heavyweight title. Totally. So, right, but was Roddy yes, Piper a, as was Roddy Piper was he was Roddy Piper in any way a bigger star than Scott Hall? I don't think so. <sighs> it, it, I mean, it's it's hard to it's two different eras that those guys were the stars of. Right, right. And they were kind That's of true. like the biggest foils of that era. So, no, I <sighs> God, that's a hard argument, dude, because Piper is such a legend, but so is Scott Hall. So, yeah, yeah. put him at the same level. At, yeah. at the very least, the video package that they showed did not do him justice. For everything right. he did for wrestling, not just WWF, WCW, even TNA, in the, the mm -hmm, times that mm -hmm. he bounced around TNA, give the man his due, give him his recognition, give him a moment at WrestleMania that the fans can gather have a, the wrestling community is toxic enough, dude. Do wrestling fans even worst. love? Do, do they even love wrestling? Do they fucking they hate, hate wrestling? They're they so hate wrestling. fucking toxic. But when fickle, go ahead, fickle, fickle. <laughs> but when times like this happen, we lose a beloved person like Scott Hall. Yeah, it really brings us together as a community instead of being so That's fucking true. toxic. Give, right. give us fans that moment at WrestleMania to remember. And respect and love Scott Hall again. Give us that yeah. 10 bell salute. Give the man his moment of silence. And let's move on. But again, Scott Hall's going to live forever, dude. What he brought to wrestling, what he gave the fans, is absolutely going to live forever. He will never die in our minds. Totally, totally. And Adam and I are going are gonna to be in Dallas for WrestleMania. And I'm going to be in the bar. And if there are any other wrestling fans in the bar, if any of you listening to this, we're doing shots for Scott Hall. And I get how tacky that is to pay tribute to Scott Hall with uh, drinking. 
But fuck it. That's what we do. Well, it's, it's our it's show. The, it's you know, the concept. You're coming together. You're sharing stories and creating community. We're celebrating yeah. him. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, before we close this out, I have one drunk fact about Scott Hall. Do you know who his first match was against in WWE? Oh, God. I read this earlier. Oh, crap. I don't remember. Does the name Paul Van Dale ring a bell to either of you? Nope. Nope. His first match in WWE was defeating Paul Van Dale, a jobber who is Carmella's dad. Uh, are you fucking oh. kidding? I'm not kidding. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. He beat Carmella's dad in his first match in WWE. That is, in fact, a fun fact. Drunk fact. I love it. And did you know he had a tryout match for the WWF in 1990? I did. Against Paul Roma. Yeah. <laughs> and lost, and he didn't get hired. Right, right. Huh, Paul Roma, huh? Yeah. Former horseman. Oh, before we close this out, Scott, I would like to commend you on your detailed notes. This is very out of character for you. It's a big deal. Yeah. Normally, I'll, I'll kind of freeball these a little bit. Yeah, you always have like kind of loose notes, but you you put a lot of work into this episode. I really did, dude. And so I kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you. It, it, it's hard not to sit here and get emotional about Razor. Like, mm-hmm. I loved him. Like, he was a big deal to wrestling. He was a big deal to me. And he's going to be missed, dude. He's really going to be missed. And I wanted to make sure that he was given, not only on this show, but on Fully Posable as well. You know, we did the whole Scott Hall episode. I want to make sure that fans understand he's a big deal to me. He's a big deal to you. He's a big deal to Adam. He's a big deal to the wrestling community, which is by nature a very toxic environment. But we can all come together and agree. Scott Hall, we love you. R.I.P. That's it. Rest in paradise, Scott Hall. We hope that all of you enjoyed this episode. What memories of Scott Hall do you have? Let's uh, keep uh, this keep this uh, conversation uh, going about because he will live forever with me- many memories, many stories. Uh, let's uh, let's keep uh, this uh, going with him uh, on our social media platforms: Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at wrestling underscore drunk please uh always uh share stories and create community and be cool maybe don't flick uh toothpicks at every single person but uh you know or do or do if they're asking (laughs) for it start all of your sentences with a yo uh on behalf of eddie and scott i'm adam reminding all of you to uh please uh stay safe Jerry Buzz, watch wrestling responsibly. Drink like nobody's watching. We will see you all next time for another great episode. And remember, hard work pays off. Dreams come true. Bad times don't last, but bad guys do. See y'all. We miss you, Scott. You're the coolest motherfucker of all time. Love you, Razor. Not you, Scott.